Leonard Bernstein's son, Alexander Bernstein, is a vital part of sustaining his iconic father's works and contribution to history. When I spoke to him earlier this week, I asked him firstly to give us an idea of what it was like growing up in the Bernstein household. It was absolutely uh, extraordinary. It was wonderful. You know, grew up around terrific music, a very privileged life. He, he was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he enjoyed uh, being with the family. So there was always lots of activity and friends and family around. He, he was gone a lot. He toured. Um, but when he was home, he was really, really home. Uh, he would be studying scores or composing. He, he wasn't a, an absent father at all. Uh, and he loved spending time with us and playing games and sports and so on. Uh, we got to travel around the world with him. I was lucky enough to go on a tour with him a couple of times with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Wow. Uh, visiting, you know, we went to Australia, we went to New Zealand, we went to Japan and Europe. It's just amazing. I met lots and lots of unbelievable people. Anybody in particular who stands out for you as a child? Oh. Were you starstruck in particular by anybody? I guess uh, the Beatles would be way up there. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, uh, it was um, it was pretty amazing. And when you say it was a musical household, was it your father's music playing, or all kinds of music? What kind of music were you listening to in the Bernstein uh, house? Mostly, it was his. Music. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, you know, also he couldn't stand having music in the background. There was never, you know, just playing records having them go and he just couldn't believe that my sister and I uh could do our homework with the radio on okay which of course we did and he, he just had no clue how to not pay attention to music when it was playing whatever it was pop music or whatever so if you were listening you had to be listening 100% Exactly. Yeah, interesting. He just couldn't uh, fathom how that could be otherwise. And in terms of listening to West Side Story for the first time, and you would have been a toddler, I suppose, when it first uh, came out. So two years old. Two years old, yeah. So what are your early memories of hearing those songs for the first time? Well, my memories are of uh, having, we had the record, and uh, my older sister Jamie and I uh, listened to it constantly. So we really knew the music. We didn't know the show because um, I didn't get, I was only, I guess, three or four when it closed on Broadway. Yeah. And it came back a couple of years later. But I, I didn't see the, didn't really see West Side Story until the movie came out in 1961. Um, and that was my first visual experience with West Side Story. I just think it was such a, an interesting team your father worked with then. I mean, we have a young Stephen Sondheim who was working as a lyricist only at that time, and of course Gypsy followed for him, but he was, he was sort of dying to be a composer. I'm wondering, did you get any insight on how the two collaborated in terms of the music and lyrics? Um, not at the time, but certainly since. Um, it, it was so wonderful of, for many, many years, 
um, after my father died that, that Steve was around and um, we we ended up being pals with him and and you know uh, he would invite us over now and then for dinner and so he would tell us about the olden days and uh, and working with uh, with my dad and he was he was so generous with, with his time and um, and helped when there was a revival on Broadway of West Side Story and he came in and, and solved some very hard issues concerning a cut in the score mm. uh, and making it work in the or- in the orchestration. And but he, but he said, Oh, this would have taken your father ten minutes. Really? And he spent <laughs> like two days on it. But um so he was obviously uh you know he he, he appreciated and uh was a fan of my father's, but they were also kind of competitive. And, uh, you know, Steve kind of cringed at some of the uh, the more sort of romantic opera-y music in West Side um, and cringed at his own work. Uh, he never liked I Feel Pretty. Yeah, I suppose looking back on it, he was he was young starting out at the time, so he was critical on himself, wasn't he? Oh, very, yeah. Yeah. They were also very competitive as far as uh, word games were concerned. <laughs> I'm sure. And they were always doing, you know, the the, the British uh, puzzles like The Listener and The Guardian and ridiculously difficult. Well, um, yeah, I mean, you see, we're, we're dealing with, and I, I don't say this word lightly because I do believe they were both geniuses, and then you bring Jerome Robbins as choreographer into the mix as well. I mean, oh that creative goodness. energy must have been extraordinary. So, I mean, it can't have always been straightforward. There have to have been clashes here and there with, with all of these brains and all of this musical talent in the room. Um, yeah, although they all, I mean, they all had different memories. It was very Rashomon when they talked about the the creation of West Side, but what they all agreed was that um, for all of their four genius selves, um, there was not a lot of fighting. I mean, you know, my father mm. complained about you know Jerry taking away his most beautiful operatic moments and so on, but um, for the most part, they really didn't have like you know drag out fights about stuff. Which is pretty rare on uh, yeah, in on Broadway shows. He was so um, in awe of Jerry Robbins, and the other way around as well. But you know, they they had worked together so much before, starting in 1942, 43, mm-hmm. with uh, the ballet Fancy Free, and then the show on the town, the Broadway musical, and. They just developed this incredible rapport. And they were both, you know, young, brash, American, jazzy, you know, up and coming guys. Yeah. But also came from a very, very strict European classical training, you know, Jerry and dance and, and my father and music. Uh, and their, you know, their teachers had all been really strict european so they had they brought that discipline and that sort of world view uh and and mixed it with with this you know really uh gung-ho american 
you know, fresh, new, urban sound and movement. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an interesting history of this musical. I mean, obviously, we can go right back to Shakespeare with it because of the origin story of Romeo and Juliet transposed to the 1950s in New York. I think it's extraordinary to see this production in 2023, how it hasn't dated at all, Alexander. What do you put that down to? Oh, my God. It's really, that's so true. <laughs> I yeah. saw the opening of this production in Munich, uh, and it's just fantastic. It really... Uh, they've done such a marvelous job. It really is absolutely relevant. Um, I mean, you know, a love story is always going to be attractive. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, you know, the tragedy of it and what we have still to deal with in the world is is, is right there. Gang violence, it, racism, yeah, all of that. It's not gone and mm -hmm. it, it, it couldn't be more relevant. Sadly, uh, there it is. This production is directed by Lonnie Price, who, who was a guest actually on this show last year when he directed Gabriel Burns' one-man show. Yeah, and, uh, I saw that. Yeah, uh, he's, he, he certainly he knows his musicals. <laughs> uh, I loved it so much. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, um, Gabriel Burns, I got to meet him. Oh, great. fantastic. Yeah, no, it was it was super. But, I mean, Lonnie is such a Broadway veteran. I know he's a, he's a pal of yours, but a close friend of Stephen Sondheim's. What a wonderful choice. And I gather... He's not messing with this production. Am I correct in saying it's quite traditional? Absolutely. There's so many fresh ideas. He's just gotten the most out of everybody uh, involved. The cast is extraordinary. Uh, the designers, the set is amazing. Costumes. Yeah, no, it's it's very faithful to to the original. Thank goodness, because there's you know all kinds of there was Spielberg's movie, which had a whole new book, yeah, written by Tony Kushner. There was a Broadway revival that sadly uh, had to close with the pandemic, mm. and that was wild. <laughs> yeah, so I was sorry I missed it. Yeah, and and um, were you a fan of Spielberg's version? Oh, absolutely, mm -hmm. loved it. That's um, yeah, and I, I hope it really gets seeing more and more unhappily, you know, premiered during the people weren't quite going to the movies. I know, I loved it, I loved it. I, I'm wondering as, as vice president and treasurer of the Leonard Bernstein office, so you're one of the gatekeepers of the show, you decide who gets to put it on. So just how strict are you and how much freedom does a director have in terms of what he or she can do with West Side Story? Uh, that's a great question. We all have to agree. Okay. Four families, as it were. Um, the Bernstein, Sondheim, Robbins, and Lawrence uh, estates. Mostly people just do do it, you know, they rent it from either Boozy and Hawks mm. or MTI, Music Theatre International. If they're just doing the, the show as written, we don't stop anybody. But um, if they want to change anything, then we have to discuss it, and we all have to agree to allow it, and so on. And sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. <laughs> somebody wanted to do an animated version with dogs and cats fighting each other. Was that a no? And, and that was that was that was a no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was I was interested to see Gustavo Dudamel when he was asked to conduct, you know, the Spielberg's West Side Story. He said it was a dream yeah. come true, and and now he's recently named as new artistic director of the NY Phil, following in your father's Yay. footsteps. It's great, but I mean, boy, did your father set the bar high. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed he did. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking about this last night. And he was just so much larger than 
you know, being the conductor of the orchestra. I mean, he was on television all the time doing his, uh, you know, the young people's concerts with the orchestra mm. and doing other televised uh, stuff as well. And he was kind of a, you know, charismatic celebrity, good looking, you know, and getting photographed all the time. So he was kind of this world celebrity. I know Bradley Cooper is about to play him in the movie Maestro, a biopic on your father to be released. How do you feel about that? Uh, great. Good, yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been so interesting and exciting to, uh, to, to work with him. He's so committed to this and, and has, you know, is always asking us questions. And, you know, we've been, we've been trying to help as much as we can. Oh, that's really good to know that it has your backing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, and he's he's just terrific. And, and Carrie Mulligan, is she's going to be incredible. Do you, do you think mom. it'll be an, an emotional watch for you? Yes. Mm. It already has been, I've seen. Oh, you've clips. seen, okay, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's Yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, okay, that's called Maestro. We look forward to it. Just to come back to West Side Story, uh, before I let you go, uh, people often talk about the sad ending. You know, there are some musicals like this with sad endings. Fiddler on the Roof sort of comes to mind. And yet some people talk about West Side Story that, yes, it's sad and tragic, but there's hope. Do you see hope at the end of it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's what's so um, wrenching about it. Uh, At the end, you know, there is, especially uh, musically, there's, you know, this... It's a repeat of somewhere, yeah. of the song somewhere. But there's also a sort of foreboding low note that is very dissonant, and you you can just barely hear it. And it's it's like, oh no, it's hopeful, but it's dark. It's it's possible, and it's not really going to work out. Yeah. But there is a, a sense of uh, of hope when when you know somewhere is playing and. They're uh, sharing, carrying his body on. Mm. You, you mentioned uh, the, the cast in this production. We spoke to Rachel Zegler on this program who played Maria in Spielberg's version. Oh, and, yeah, and, I love you know, Rachel. She's super, isn't she? Yeah. Um, but, you know, she talked to us about the, the huge audition process. But our, I'm, I'm reading about this production. Over 3,000 young people auditioned for this show. That's quite something. Oh, it's, it's really amazing. So you can imagine how great the uh, the actors that they chose yes yeah. coming you know through all that well this is some uh, tour alexander delighted you're stopping off in dublin but uh, quite an ambitious tour stopping off in dubai and bangkok and paris so we're very grateful you're you're fitting in dublin and we we can't wait to see this production in june it's been such a pleasure talking to you thank you so much my pleasure talking to you take care